This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. One of the hardest jobs on earth is that of the customer service rep. And that was before they all had to go online, before the pandemic. Seriously, there are very few things in life that get us more irritated than when you make that call or send a text to a customer service rep and they don't understand the problem we're trying to solve. Not so much they don't understand our words, they just don't comprehend our intent. As it turns out, there's a reason for that. There are at least 1,500 ways to express intent. And if you're a rep that gets moved online basically overnight without great infrastructure or training in remote problem solving, well, we all experience the consequences. My guest this week is Enat Weiss, the CMO at Nice LTD, a thought leader, an industry expert in the world of digital and AI-enhanced customer experience. She brings incredible insight into the complexity of providing great customer experience in the digital age and the future of customer experience. Please enjoy the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. I'd love to start with this question. What on earth is the difference between customer service and customer experience? For those of us that have lived sort of through both of those things and we're really not sure where one starts and one ends. So that's a wonderful question to start off with. And, you know, for many, many years, the notion was that people like us, consumers, Mm -hmm. would call the contact center right, to receive service, to solve a problem, to ask a question. It was very, very transactional. There is a notion now that customer experience is really what organizations are striving for, right? Understanding who you are, what you really need, regardless of the specific question that you want to ask, Mm. and also what would you perceive to be an experience, right? Mm -hmm. So for one person, it can be a very short, as I said, transactional question over a mobile app. For somebody else, it really is speaking to a person and maybe getting something else on top of what he called to ask for in the first place. So in my opinion, and from what I see, what organizations are really trying to do is to move away from having this one and done customer service interaction Mm -hmm. and really think about who it is they're speaking to and what is the right experience for that specific person. Yeah. I, um, so many things going through my brain when you say that I can hear myself in my more agitated moments wanting to yell, do you know who you're talking to? But, uh, then my wife of 36 years gives me the look and I get I get back in line. She's half Japanese and half Irish, and I'm terrified of her. So I better, I better, I better behave myself. <laughs> there you, go. you know, when, when as you were talking, I remember thinking. So back in the day, I was the person who would build their own computer. I didn't want to go buy something off the shelf. I, I've refused to use an iPhone. I wanted uh, an Android because I could customize it. Like now, I just want it to work. Like, I don't want to think that hard. I, I just want it to work. But in the early days of digital music, like uh, Spotify, for example, or whoever, I remember thinking to myself, why on earth would I want to have digital music? It's not as authentic as my 
albums. It's it's not as customizable as my CD list and my own back, you know, a long time ago. We made mixtapes and other stuff, but it, like it's not that. Eventually, um, I wanted the convenience of bringing my digital music with me, and so I began building my playlists, and I would do it off of the music that I owned. And later, um, and so I would just build this list, very narrow-minded. And then eventually Spotify and other apps, but Spotify's kind of my go-to, started saying, you know, if you if you like the revivalists, this kind of rockish Chicago-type band out of uh, Louisiana, you'd probably like this one over here. No, I wouldn't till I listened to it. And all of us, and so it began customizing the experience for me. And now, unless I'm in a really nostalgic moment, I can't imagine not using one of these tools. Not only that, having it recommend things to me, and I know within 60 seconds or 90 seconds whether I want to continue to listen or, or where, I would, um, where I would channel that sort of in my music listening experience. Would I keep it on this playlist or would I move it to something else or just get rid of it all entirely? And the more that I interact with these tools, the more the smarter it gets in suggesting things to me. So as you're describing this, I feel like that's part of that journey. Is that a right way of, to think about it? It is. And what you're actually saying is that what got you hooked on Spotify is the fact that it was very personal or personalized, I should say, and yeah. learned your preferences, how you like to consume music, and also what types of other musics you may like. Yeah. And the whole notion of, well, two things. One is digital customer service, right? If you remember a few years ago, we would say the Gen Zers don't like to use the phone. They only text. But other generations, uh, they, they like to speak to people and right. listen to all music, right? Right. And one of the things, well, COVID was definitely one thing that accelerated uh, the digital customer experience world, right? So as consumers, all of us, mm. regardless of age, mm -hmm. we had to start using digital channels. Yeah. We had to start consuming, if you like, customer experience, right? Yeah. Uh, on digital channels. Uh, so first of all, it became cross-generational. That's the first thing. The mm. second thing is that we got used as consumers just like you did with Spotify, to consume customer experience wherever we want to do it through any channel that we choose. If you're in front of your computer, you want to use your browser. Your browser. If you're on the go, you want to use your mobile app. And this adoption happened exponentially for consumers. Mm. And what we see is that organizations actually have to really keep up with that. They're sometimes a little bit slower, right, mm -hmm. than, than consumers want them to be. Uh, but it's not just the channels, right? It's also the way that an organization would interact with you. So one thing that we see that is becoming very, very popular is actually the demand to have ways to proactively interact with consumers when it comes to, and I'm not talking about upselling or trying to sell you something, mm -hmm. but really pro provide or anticipate what kind of service you may need and contacting you, contacting you, sorry, proactively. Yeah. Yeah. 
as you were talking about COVID, I, I am certain that the three worst jobs to have in the early days of COVID, number one, White House press secretary. That has to be number one, the worst yes. one. Yes. Um, number two, uh, first responder. Right. We, we hear the reports coming out of Italy and Europe and we're like, it's so easy now to criticize the world politicians on either side of those things. And I'm a critic plenty of that. But in those first few days and weeks, like we just didn't know. Yes. Now we there's all kinds of and that's a different conversation for a different day. But the third was customer service. Like, could you, you know. You don't have the infrastructure. You don't. There's no way to prepare or even imagine the experience that they were facing, and you're getting um, people that are scared, people that are, uh, which leads to aggression and anger and confusion and t systems. Your own employees are having to be at home. Like, what was that like to be in the middle of just ground zero of what on earth is is going on? Not in terms of the the pandemic per se, but just trying to be staffed and managed through that craziness. It's, uh, you know, a contact center or customer service center, I should say, is uh, probably the most in-person environment you can imagine, right? Yeah. You have agents at the contact center floor. You have supervisors who do a lot of their coaching and just day-to-day -day interactions over the shoulder. Mm -hmm. of those agents, oh, right? The whole notion of, of coaching and monitoring, everything is done in a face-to-face -face or in-person manner. Right. Like you said, when it comes to infrastructure, most of them don't even have a work laptop, right? Because they do their shift and they go right. home and they, they work from right. the contact center. So obviously this was really a, a shocking event, right? So first of all, just as a vendor and as a partner for our customers, we really helped many of them to just get the right type of, we even helped in getting laptops to employees in some cases, right? Just wow. to make sure we help our customers, uh, you know, to be able to provide the service that they want to provide. But it did create a few major disruptions in this area. One, uh, was really the cloud transformation mm -hmm. that started before, but there was a very clear realization that unless you have your infrastructure in the cloud, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult to have a workforce that works from home. Right. And then later on, now right. a hybrid workforce, right? right? So first of all, is the infrastructure. The second thing was anything that had to do with managing employees remotely and engaging them, right? Mm -hmm. When you're at the contact center, you can see who's more engaged than others. You have all sorts of KPIs and you can see that through right. your dashboard as well, but you can then go to that person and say, hey, what's going on? What do you need? And so forth. It wasn't even just about making sure that they work, but really making sure that they're engaged that they have the information that they need. Uh, and this actually created uh, a huge need for uh, automation tools that just provide guidance, tips and tricks, right, on mm -hmm. one hand. And then also to complement that, uh, there was also a need in tools that helped in 
creating employee engagement, right? So all sorts of gamification platforms and just ways to really get your employees excited and engaged. Uh, what we also saw is, you know, in the first few days of the pandemic, I don't know if you tried to contact any of your providers, but it was virtually impossible. Yeah. And that, you know, wait times were longer. I referred earlier to the fact that all of us adopted digital channels. This was also one of the major accelerators of that transformation as well. Mm -hmm. But what we also saw is that once they were contacted, many of those contact center employees or agents turned into a little bit of a, maybe a shoulder to cry on, right? Or mm -hmm. just advisor people would just have random conversations with them. So beyond their quote-unquote day job, they also had to be there, right, for those customers, uh, give them sometimes additional information on top of what they would usually know how to provide. So what we saw is that the role of agents became way more complicated mm -hmm. and they had to really just consume much more knowledge in a much more condensed way and be on top of many more topics. One reason is because they had to speak to customers who needed some just general advice, right? but also because if you think about it, the whole customer experience supply chain, I want to say, was kind of a point to point, right? You would pick up the phone, call the contact center. This was the beginning of your interaction and right. the end of it in most <clears throat> cases. Now, actually, agents are being injected into the process in different parts of the interaction. Sometimes you would start from your mobile app, mm. maybe speak to a bot, and we'll get to that when we later on mm -hmm. when we talk about AI and, and its role. And sometimes maybe you won't be able to complete your transaction, but sometimes you may just have a more complicated question that you didn't manage to get a response for. So agents need to be much more versed in doing all of that without sometimes being the sole owner of the interaction. Yeah. I, I want to come back to, um, at some point, um, the employee experience in there um, and, and the real-time data you get as a supervisor in the coaching, I'm sure uh, AI and tools are going to play a role in that. So I, I don't want to prematurely get to that, but I haven't, I, I, it's sparking some ideas. But if we go back to those early days, when, one of the first things that you reminded me of is that sort of this proactive interaction. I fly a lot and, and the airline that I use prompts me ahead of time. Hey, by the way, are you on the upgrade list? Now, I'm not offended by being reminded, uh, are you in the upgrade list? And um, do you want any upgrade or would you like to follow your C preferences? I mean, it's, Pretty cool. 
Um, and most of the time now it can predict, say, hey, you, you, your normal pattern is this. Do you want to keep doing that or do you want to do something else? And it's not intrusive. It's at my convenience, but it reminds me, hey, it's time to check in. Just FYI, your, do, do, has your bag situation changed? Has your transportation situation? It's just reminding me common everyday things. And I, I have so many things going on that, thank goodness, it reminds me most of the time. I fly out of one of the busiest, if not the busiest airport in the country all the time, several times a month anyway. And if it didn't remind me, I'd be in I'd be in big trouble. Right. Is that what you mean by sort of this proactive connection with your customers? Yes, exactly. And, and it goes even beyond that. So, for example, sometimes when services do or when you have to have a technician come over <clears throat> to fix something, right? <clears throat> so sometimes if your service provider can actually approach you and say, hey, I know that you may need, you know, right. to fix your refrigerator or right. to replace something and proactively schedule the service. First of all, they can kind of control the schedule better, but mm -hmm. it also provides you with this notion of, oh, you know, this organization actually knows me. They understand what I need. They do it in a way that's more convenient for me because it's a text message. You can respond or not respond. You can choose when to respond. Nobody has to wait, right? right? So that's on the service side. There are also other use cases. For example, if you think about collections, right? Mm. I received a text message from one of my healthcare providers saying, oh, you have to pay this lab right. balance, right? In the easiest possible way, just clicking the link and paying it versus the process that you had to go through before with maybe writing a check or calling right. somebody or going into a website that's written on a piece of paper or something like that. So just making things more accessible, more convenient, but also very, very personalized and in a more predictive uh, way. This is exactly what I was referring to, yeah. Yeah, I, one of the things most human beings in the states, anyway, like to avoid is the uh, DMV Department of Motor Vehicles, and just oh, reminded yeah. me the other day, <laughs> hey, your tag needs to be renewed in about three weeks. Do you want to do that? And I did. And I said, okay, you know, you got these other vehicles that all have to be renewed at the same time. Do you want to take care of those now? Do you want to do them differently? Well, this one needs to go to the emission center. Here's the nearest one near you. I didn't even think about it till this conversation about how. How much more convenient that was. One is a reminder. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want the blue and red lights behind me reminding me that I forgot to get my tag renewed. But also, hey, these things are connected to your name or at least to your address. Do you want to get them uh, resolved at the same time? We did have a funny one. Um, it was probably a year ago. We get the, um, you know, when the seasons change, we have an annual checkup of our heating and air conditioning system and in the email uh so this was in a text it was an email he said hey look if your if your furnace is in your laundry room um the tech's going to be here on this day and this time you might want to um uh you know clear the room and i yeah, use that yeah. to get all the laundry in the house done for the first <laughs> time and i have three daughters two of whom are in college um and li still live at the house so we have chaos everywhere we for the first time probably pre-covid had all the laundry in the house done for the furnace so there i'm gonna start go. scheduling a furnace every four months so that we can see the floor of the laundry room but it, it 
I didn't even think about that. You've commented, I've heard in the past about how digitalized we are becoming as people. And I like to think of myself as not particularly digitized, but I realized, no, I really am. I'm part of the Borg. I'm, I'm tied in. Exactly, exactly. And you know, you asked what what's the difference between customer experience and customer service. Yeah. They created an experience for you. I mean, maybe not doing the laundry, right? But right. everything oh, else. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this is an experience. As as organizations are are kind of coming out of COVID now, um, and and they're dealing in the experience and service uh, world. How are they leveraging technology? You know, they sort of got through that first avalanche of um, getting digitized, getting organized. This is a world that you live in. Um, your organization provides um, service in this area. How are how are organizations today, before we look at the future, how are they leveraging these tools? What's their philosophy and how are they leveraging them to assist their agents or assist their organization in delivering the experience we're talking about? So just like you said, there was the initial shock, right? right. Then just like the rest of us in any area almost, we realized multiple things. One, one is that you can do, you can work from anywhere, right? right. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is when, when I'm going back to customer service organizations, they created uh, an environment or they are creating an environment that where being in person and being remote can both be managed mm. at the same level, with, just with different tools, right? Some of mm. them are more kind of automation, AI-driven, coaching uh, that they provide, and some are the human management that uh, and coaching that you can get from a human being. So mm -hmm. first thing was really creating this hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, there are different tools and different technologies. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the second was really the notion or the understanding that in order to manage this complexity, right, of people mm -hmm. that are working from different locations in different times and the notion of shifts is no longer as it used to be and so on and mm -hmm. so forth, AI is really the only way to manage this complexity at scale mm. for them. And this was something that it wasn't just COVID and it wasn't just the hybrid work uh, mode. Mm -hmm but really a combination of different things that drove them to understand that. Um, and the third thing is really the notion of this uh, continuous journey for consumers, right? Mm. We talked about how everything became digital all of a sudden, right? Because of the call load, uh, because of the move to work from home that created some chaos. Right now, it's not digital or voice, but rather, again, looking at a customer, looking at a journey that you need to go through or that is right for you, whether digital, human, or the right combination, and really create those uh, seamless transitions, I would mm -hmm. say, between all the different touch points without creating any disruption to your experience as a consumer. 
how do they do that? I'm, I'm, I, it's, uh, you know, man, if they, if they master that, they are, um, which I, I mean, obviously they have to, but it is, it, when I talk to, sometimes I go to university and I will um, have a conversation about my industry. You, you mentioned supply chain earlier. Most industry has a, a people supply chain challenge, right? right? Um, but there are some industries that are, uh, uh, appear to be more attractive than others. I don't bump into a lot of people that are saying, hey, I want to go be a small farmer or, hey, <laughs> I want to go sign up to be in customer service or customer experience unless it's a just a quick stop on their way to somewhere else in an industry and they're trying to fill in a, a piece of experience. And so all of us are required to do equal to or greater than with fewer people. And yet, one of the things we talked about in the beginning is this intimacy, this relationship between technology and people. You know, when I, for for those of us that are not around this business, when we hear technology and customer service, we think, you know, those dreaded voice, uh, you know, you had to come in and you had to say one, one yeah, or AVR, whatever. Yeah, the the AVRs, AVR, yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then chatbots a little bit better, but the early yeah. days of those yeah. were lumpier. And so um, I know you're imagining something much more elegant and sophisticated and personal and relational than that. But it, how do you, how do you bring that together? This, this goal that you just described on where we think this is going um, with the supply chain challenge of getting people involved. I'm not, I'm not sure what my question is that I'm trying to I feel like I got three or four in there, but just how is a look at as at, you know three years past two two and a half years past now COVID? How are they adopting? First of all, are you able to attract the talent? And two, how do you um, as you attract them? How do you onboard them? Because it's a more sophisticated uh, problem. You have to manage the technology in addition to the human experience and the the human interaction skill. Right. So there are actually two two sides to that. Okay. One is really, just like you said, there is shortage of highly skilled employees in general, but specifically in the customer experience area. Mm-hmm. And there is higher turnover, sometimes maybe now a little bit less than in 2021, in the beginning of, of 2022, but still definitely a huge undertaking for customer service organizations to manage uh, their um, human resources. Mm-hmm in an efficient way. And really the only way, and that's what we see more and more, the only way to overcome that uh, is to use AI in a smart way in the customer experience world. And and I'll explain. Okay. When you create, of of course, some of the solution does lie in having smart self-service. You talked about IVRs. Mm-hmm. And bots that seems to be uh, sometimes even more annoying in some cases, right. right? And IVRs because they can't answer the simplest questions, and you right. have to end up having to repeat everything to a human. And what organizations are really trying to do is to make sure that every time that you interact with them through self-service, you actually meet their best employee, right? Mm. One right. that has high IQ that is quick to understand situations and people um, that has the right behavioral skills, right? And can adjust based on where the conversation is going. And 
yeah. the best of the best, right, have years of experience, which again is a rare resource also on the human side. But definitely when you speak to a bot right now, you don't always feel that they have years of experience or right. any sort of data. And what we see and what we're promoting with our customers and what we do with our customers, I should say, is move to um, from trying to finish the transaction, like you said, our self-service, to make sure that bots can actually understand intent. Mm. And this is where we see self-service really being successful and really provide an experience, a good experience, mm-hmm. right, to consumers. And, and just to give you some, uh, some data points, in a single service interaction, on average, mm-hmm. there are around 14 unique intents. Wow. And believe it or not, we found, based on historical data, that there are about 1,500 ways to express the same intent. <laughs> right? So imagine having, as people, we get it, right? right we understand right. very, very quickly. But the only way to get self-service to understand that in the exact same way is, first of all, to have massive amounts of data, relevant mm-hmm. data, and train those AI-based bots to really understand consumer intent. And once they do that, this is where you, we can really have a journey, right? To speak to a bot in a humanized way, have them understand what you're really trying to do, not necessarily what you said you're trying to do. Right. Um, and provide you with service and not just with an answer. So that's the first part. Mm-hmm. The second part is using that AI also on the agent side. And what you have to be able to do on the agent side is, first of all, to provide context Mm -hmm. in an efficient way. There's nothing more annoying than having to repeat what you've just said, right? Mm -hmm. Or or having to to ask the same question again. So to really inject, inject them with full context into the conversation and also in real time, give them the tools to serve you better, right? With everything that we know about you as a consumer, we can now create a better connection by connecting to someone in a smart way. And also, uh, one of the things that uh, that we see that's really, really helpful for agents is uh, the ability, we call it real-time interaction guidance. We can actually give them guidance not about what to say or not with a link to a knowledge base with other links to other documents that, of right. course, during a conversation, nobody wants to wait. And you know when you're waiting. Right. But rather give them guidance about how they conduct the conversation. Are they creating, instilling confidence in the customer, uh, with the customer, sorry? Are they speaking too fast or too slow? Do, like... Did they actually answer the question? Should they continue the conversation or should they just stop? Right. This is really the types of things that needs to be done on the agent side. So with that smart self-service and creating this 
smart agent with AI, you really create those seamless journeys. Mm-hmm. And as a result, again, you don't just solve a problem, you actually create this positive experience of somebody that would like to interact with your brand again. It's, um, I know it's possible. I've seen some examples of this, um, but it seems almost uh, not not too good to be true. But when you see a um, a person that has the skill, especially as a supervisor, they have a natural um, emotional IQ. They have experience. To your point earlier about large data set, um, they've managed employees for a while. And so they can tell not only when the customer on the other end is in emotional distress um, and and where it's not obvious, right? They're not yelling. They're just sort of, they're not asking the right questions or they're the cadence of their conversation, or they can recognize when their agents are, are struggling and they have the ability from as nuanced as kind of tapping them on the shoulder and calming them down. And you got this and encouraging all the way up into I'm going to take over this call because I I just need to step in here, almost like an air traffic controller right. in a in a you know stressful environment. It's that's a lot of data and a lot of tools to be able to bring that level of sophistication. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think it'll be a long time in most cases before we completely replace people, if that's even possible, whether that's a goal of ours or not, because human beings have this ability to adapt and to and to have a nuance, uh, not all of them, but some of them, and and the ability to bring tools alongside to help sort of leverage that that human skill across your platform seems pretty fantastical, almost magical. Um, but if we could pull it off, what a what a world of uh, customer experience we could make happen like that. That would be magical. It is, and, and I'll say also that uh, the customers that I speak to, what they say again, it. AI and those tools would never eliminate the need for humans, right? But if that supervisor, to your point earlier of onboarding and just the struggle to get uh, good talent, Mm -hmm. can coach, right, three new agents or onboard three new agents, and 80% of his day-to-day can be done automatically by AI, Right. then it's a double game, right? Yeah. And we do see that agents that are being, I want to say, coached or guided by AI-based tools, sometimes they are more receptive and they react better to, a, if you like, this this flight control, uh, mm-hmm. right, tool to helping them mm-hmm. versus somebody actually standing over their shoulders saying the exact same thing. So they also react better to that. Uh, they take these corrections sometimes better right. coming from a tool than from a person, believe it or not. I, this isn't supposed to be marriage therapy, but welcome to my life. You're about to have some marriage <laughs> therapy with me. Um, it is hilarious that you say that this just happened. My wife cannot for the life of her. I adore this woman. Um, but if I, um, so she speaks some Japanese, some Korean, she's fluent in English. Um, her mom was Japanese. She grew up here in the States and 
we watch international shows together, many Asian shows, and so I'll try to pronounce the words, and she cannot help but correct me. I mispronounced it. I, a lot of our friends for, from all over the world, and so, you know, if you're from Israel as you are, if you're from Germany, if you're from South Brazil, and I know a word or a phrase, I want to try to say it as close as I can today. And usually people from those countries, they kind of smile, and they're generous with me, and they allow me to butcher their language. My wife does not allow that at all to happen. So the other day we were, um, I was using a tool. I don't remember if it was Alexa or Siri or whatever, but I, I mispronounced my ask almost the exact same thing. If I said that in front of my wife and she corrected me, I am irritated. You do not have to correct me. Yes. If the tool corrects me, I'm like, okay, remember okay. next time. Yeah, I got it's, it wrong, the right? name of yeah. the band is this. The phrase is this. It's not that, got it. With my wife, I, I go instantly into this, well, how many times do you get it wrong? Whereas with Siri, <laughs> I'm not arguing with Siri. She doesn't have time of day for me. But it's just so funny. I never thought about that emotional response. I don't usually argue with the tool unless it's the GPS trying to tell me to drive off a cliff when I know I yeah. should go straight, and I ignore that. But um, yeah, with my bride... Most important person in my life, um, I'm paid to say that, or it could have significant consequences for me. I, you know, I want to argue with her all the time, but I won't argue with the tool. It's so funny you pointed that out. I never really thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so we do see that a lot, and it, it is surprising because you would think, right, that especially in coaching moments, you would like to do that with a person, uh, but again, since there are so many subtleties and it can be you're speaking yeah. too loud or you're speaking too slow. Again, just seeing that on a red, yellow and green kind of gauge yeah. makes it a little softer. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to see how that evolves because you don't want, on the one hand, I want in the military, um, when I was in the military, they would teach us, being very, very broad speaking, we've got in the US, we've got the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so sort of the big rules. What's a lawful order? H how do you stand up? Like, here's the general rules besides your specific job. And then you've got the Geneva Convention. And so if we were to, to go as military men and women, we want to know what is legal and what our commander's intent is. It is at least starts between these boundaries. And then depending upon the mission and the circumstances, it, it's adjusted, but it shouldn't violate either of these two big ideas. So, but we pride ourselves and the best armies in the world pride themselves in getting their people to critically think. We don't want the, if you all behave the same way, well, now you're highly predictable and, um, which means you can be, um, defeated pretty easily. So we want you to be critical thinking, operating between these broad things, but that gives you a lot of freedom. If I have a tool that's just monitoring the inflection of everybody, you know, hopefully they get sophisticated enough where I need the big ideas of everybody to solve, but I don't need 60 Davids or 60 Enots or whatever, because it, it you know, that's not a, um, a unique, authentic experience. I want them all to be moving towards our customers in the same way with the same experience in mind, but bringing your, who you are uniquely to the conversation. Right. No, I, I, I completely agree. And, and one of the things that we can also do again, having all that data, believe it or not, and, and to your point, is creating better matching between customers 
and the agents that they end up speaking to. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, not just having somebody just like you speak to you because that doesn't right. always work, right? right? But we can predict who has the right demeanor and the right level of knowledge from their past calls, right? To handle somebody with the same maybe reasons for calling, but also similar personality traits, history, whatever is public, of course, um, and, and really create that better connection from the get-go so that then when you have those little tweaks to the behavior and so forth, those are done to a person that from the beginning was the right person for you to speak to. Yeah. So, yeah. When I've talked to other people in industry about the role of AI or, or in some cases robotics in their marketplace, in their jobs, they say, you know, usually we're trying to leverage these tools among other things, at least in these three areas, things that are uh, really dirty or things that are very dull, mundane, easily um, uh, systematized or things that are dangerous. Um, I've heard him talk to me about robots and tools that will clean ships in a ship channel. Nobody wants, they don't want to get rid of their Navy divers, but they don't want them underneath giant propellers of an aircraft carrier, except for maybe in the final inspection. They don't need them in the middle of that current and all these other things, a very, very dangerous job or things with human beings. I know it's true in my case, um, that are, that are very, um, sort of simply organized, you c it's easy to get in a rut, you know, just try to count down cells one to a hundred. For most people, you get somewhere down there and you're like, wait a minute, did I do, did I do 57 and 58? Where, where yes. am I in this? It's not an intellectual thing. We're just easily distracted or whatever, where a machine will never make that mistake. It'll just yeah. run right through it. It doesn't, you know, it's easy. And so they leverage these tools to improve the experience of employees while also improving efficiency and accuracy and all these other things. As you imagine in your world, is there a role for AI like that? And and if so, what are some of the things on how it might be applied? There are actually two levels for AI usage. One is just like you said, taking away all of those mundane tasks, the copies and pastes, filling out fields that can be filled out <laughs> automatically. Uh, consolidating information instead of the constant outstabbing, right? That agents have to do in so right. many cases, right? And again, things that are are frustrating for both sides, right? right. You're waiting for no good reason and they're they right. have to work harder for no good reason. So one one aspect is really just taking away the mundane and let people do what they're good at, right? Be empathetic. Mm be there in the moment, understand intent better and so forth. But the next step in AI really is in a way augmenting humans and just, I would say, giving them superpowers, right? Mm. So allowing, allowing them to be better versions of themselves with those small corrections, with making sure that they proactively bring, get them more information, uh, with just the ability at the end of the day to offload some of their work, but again, not just the mundane stuff, but mm. like I said earlier, even some of, of the actual stuff, right, to just solve 
some of those problems without even having to to have a human involved. Um, so what I see is really the transition from man- mundane, accurate, and maybe risky or dirty mm-hmm. or both right. to really becoming kind of a power multiplier for the employee himself, but also create that power multiplication for organizations because of the increased efficiency or the increased inefficiency mm-hmm. that AI creates. Um, there is another aspect that's very interesting, and we see that a lot. Uh, you talked about accuracy, mm-hmm. and I'm generalizing a little bit to talk about uh, understanding patterns, mm-hmm. right? So one very interesting use case that we had with a retailer is with AI, they could actually understand how uh, feeling filling up your uh, cart, your virtual cart, right? Mm-hmm. On their website by a fraudster versus an actual shopper would look like. And they can actually stop fraud before it happens because you know of the number of items right. sometimes and the variety of, of maybe sizes and so forth, but a lot of other different parameters that go into that. And it allows them to do things that maybe a human would miss altogether or not even think about checking, right? That's mind-blowing to think of. Yes. I just just got to host um, uh, uh, Professor David Maiman out of uh, Georgia State not long ago. He's a cybercrime expert, but in particular um, what they call evidence-based cybersecurity. And and really what – they're a research group, and – what you've just described, maybe not in this category, but is an area that they spend a lot of time looking at in research. And they're connected to every major intelligence agency in the Western world. They work very closely with them. And um, it's fascinating in the way that they're leveraging AI to make these predictions where they can they can start to see criminal behavior. Because it's not very rarely is it original behavior. Right. Somebody's learned to exploit something and they're telling a community either directly or indirectly how this behavior works because it works. And and now these tools are reacting so quickly that they're um they're stopping it. They're stopping the fire before they can't start stop the fire before it starts uh usually. They but they can create it. stop it from being a wildfire. Right. And it's right. Unbelievable. It never occurred to me that, yeah, why wouldn't you? If you're a brand or you're a retail, long before you get to the bank or having to deal with something that's fraud, you can see it happening real time and you can uh, mitigate it. Yes, exactly. So this is just another, I would say, a third category, right? So mundane, augmentation, and then just really just increasing coverage in many cases. Yes. If you went to universities or even just the high school or marketplace and articulated this kind of world of the customer service world, it seems to me people would be like, you know, you, you want to be engaged with something that has a future. People are going to interact with brands. We're going to get stuff. Um, and so to be part of helping the world 
and, and being involved in technology at the same time. What a cool way to apply your skill if you're that kind of a person that you know, you have a nature that is empathetic by nature and, and wants to, uh, you know, you like to help your fellow citizens, but you don't want to be left behind. I don't, I don't want to be the low paying, um, you know, jobs that nobody else wants. I want to be engaged in something dynamic that I, as I develop my skill, one, I'm not outsourced by technology, but I can leverage technology to, to improve myself and enhance my career as I move through my career. What a cool idea. It is. And I will say, um, we see a lot of our customer service professionals moving through the ranks in their organizations because they know better than anyone else mm-hmm. how so many things work, right? Mm-hmm. They are familiar with all the different products that that company is creating. They know how, how it creates its brand because they're a part of creating that brand. Right. They know what customers think about the organization. So we see them actually moving up the ranks in multiple different executive roles, some of them in the CX area, and some of mm-hmm. them are actually outside of the CX area, but it's that ability to, just like you said, understand data, see the bigger picture about a person, right, and right. about the brand, and then applying it to, to a different role. Did yeah. you start off in this space as a technologist, or were you already in the customer service, customer experience area, and then you got involved in technology? How What was your path to getting involved in this? So my path, actually, it's neither. Well, not neither, but I did not start from the customer service space. I did if you tell start- me you're a circus performer, you're going to win podcaster of the month. <laughs> I was not a circus performer. Dang it. I know, but no, uh, my background is in technology. I was a computer science uh, major, so a real nerd, if you like. I also uh, started actually my career in the Israeli army. Mm. uh, So that's where I uh, kind of got involved with technology, I would say. And then I did my my college degree in computer science. Um, I actually spent multiple years in the enterprise software world before Mm. I joined NICE and applied that for uh, the customer service space. I don't know what's going on with the Israeli army. I've long admired them. When I was in the army, I got to drive some of their uh, vehicles in the California desert, but I just got to interview Dr. Avi Loeb, who was a former chair of astronomy at Harvard, also started off his career um, uh, in the Israeli army. Uh, You know, Israelis have to have a mandatory service, but it was hilarious because he was this very athletic moved into airborne training, did all of this other stuff, thought he was going to go one path and ended up as an astrophysicist in the States. And I was like, you never know where these people are coming in. You know, just wherever the path that the world takes me is the path the world takes me. I think that's exactly. absolutely awesome. Exactly. That's close to being a circus performer. His was pretty cool too, though. So Kind of, yeah. I think his might be a little cooler, <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> Well, he stirred up a whole bunch of, not controversy, but he's a really curious scientist. He's one of my favorite people ever to talk to. And he um, he had commented about an object that came into the solar system in 2017 and said, hey, look, following the rules of science, this doesn't seem natural to me, which caused a, a, a pretty big stir. So it, it was a fun conversation. Where do, you, where do you, you know, we've talked a lot about um, – the role of tech and CX and customer experience today. First of all, I love the conversation. Thank you. Where do you think the near term, like how, 
how soon are we going to have this real-time um, intelligence and AI experience within the customer service world? And what are, you know, if where are we moving, do you think, in the next three to five years? And are brands really adopting it? I, I, I know some are for sure. Some industries are slower to adopt um, technology than other things. We see that in our, in our world every day. But I'm curious, one, how soon before the real-time stuff like is really normative? And two, are there particular industries that seem to be more eager or interested in adopting some of this forward-thinking things, or, or is it really pretty level uh, field right now? The interesting thing about AI, if you think about it, think about how long it took for other technologies to be so prominent in our lives, right? Mm. Even smartphone or the use of, of internet, it took a while before it was something we can't live without, right? right. Yeah. With AI, it's moving very, very fast. Mm -hmm. uh, we see now ChatGPT is mm -hmm. something that is becoming almost mainstream right. in such a short period of time, right? right. And what ChatGPT is really doing, and, and to answer your question, uh, is really allowing to humanize the interaction between people and AI. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, for customer service, but also in general, this is going to create a, a massive paradigm shift and I believe in even faster adoption. Mm. Uh, but directly to your question, yes, there are verticals that are adopting technology slower than others. We saw in when we looked at organizations that are moving to the cloud, for example, large organizations sometimes moved a little bit slower than smaller organizations, right? Mm -hmm. There are sectors with more regulation, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. When it comes to AI, because of everything we talked about, the, the rush to digital, with uh, or the consumer's rush to digital, uh, and the need to catch up, this is going to become mainstream very, very quickly. Hmm. And brands are already on their path. And some of them are using those real-time tools more hmm. than others. But I would say on, on a fast track to making agents smarter and to making consumers more self-sustained and happier, much faster than I've seen in the past. I can't say exactly if it's going to take a year, two years, or three years. Yeah. But from what I see and from what we see, this is happening much, much faster than any other trend that we've seen before. I have loved generative AI for a while. I didn't take it very, very seriously until really the last four or five months. Chat GPT and before it Dolly, those two in particular um, feel like they're the most elegant in my limited personal experience. The only time I, I'm not a fan of them is when they sound like the answer is right, if you're yes. not familiar with it, and it's really wrong. Um, most of the time, it's inconsequential. They got the wrong employment date of something or the, you know, a little bit mischaracterized a book or a summary or something. But every now and then they can, it's really wrong. I love those tools when they're combined with 
uh, the expertise of a human that we've talked about. So that tool in the hands of a person who knows their stuff. So to your point earlier about um, power multiplier, they are they are incredible power multipliers. But if you don't have that, they're the multiplier part of it. The human to me is the power part. They're able to go out there and get the data and summarize it and categorize it. But I still need somebody with expertise that can look at that and say, okay, this is this is right or this is factually not right. And the only reason why I say that is um, I'm not a – I'm an admirer of military history. I'm not a student of it. But I know a little bit of time. There have been times in decades past where a piece of information comes into somebody that has access to nuclear weapons and one of the big superpowers – and it would appear that, or, or maybe not even that extreme, just an event that they feel like they need to take action. But they apply their, not just an algorithm, they apply their human intellect and their experience and say, I just don't feel like this is right. And so they don't take action and they averted a significant consequence. On the other hand, there have been times when human intuition has said, look, something's going on. If we don't act now, there's going to be a high price to pay. And when we've... Um, ignored that, uh, there's been a high price to pay, or when we've acted on it, we've avoided a high price to pay. So we certainly there's mistakes, but I just mean that technology in an absence of human interaction in my experience with that um, can lead to catastrophic mistakes. When they are combined, that experienced person with this force multiplier, it's godlike power in the in the best way. And this is you're absolutely right. And what we do really is because we have such a massive data set mm -hmm. is actually to train an AI engine that is purpose built for CX. So it's not trained on generic information, but rather on actual interactions that really happened, mm. generating that level of accuracy. So you're absolutely right. There is no generic AI, right? It has to be purpose-built purpose for the purpose that it needs to serve. Well, I've occupied your time. I feel like we've covered a wide range of topics. I could talk to you for another hour. If people Thank wanted you. to learn more about NICE or you, how do they connect with you or how do they connect with your organization? So www.nice.com is where okay. all of our information is. I'm on LinkedIn. Enoch okay. Weiss, and I'm happy to chat further. Perfect. Enoch, thank you so much for coming on the show. I remember our initial conversation, you're like, I don't know about, what would we talk about? <laughs> yeah, and I just think hour. it's fascinating. I think it's generous, and I think you're just a brilliant human being. I've enjoyed not just this conversation, but my preparation, listening to what you had to say, and it's really opened my mind in this area. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. My great pleasure. Hey, if you've enjoyed the conversation, please like. And if you loved it, subscribe to the QTS experience. We'll see everybody next time. Take care.